from the author of the book by the same name. It's the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast with Mark McRae. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's part two of A History of Violence here on the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast. I'm Dan Klink. And I'm Mark McRae. <laughs> Welcome back, folks. Welcome back. So when went last we left, it was all about Johnny Quest, Cold War intrigue. We drew that all the way back to uh, pre-World War II America. Now we're moving forward. Superheroes, everyone. The new adventures of Superman, 1966. Superheroes hit the scene, hit the screen. And among other things, violence ensues. Mark. Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, the new adventures of Superman was like this groundbreaking, ratings-generating monster hit. It really caught the networks by surprise. The New Adventures of Superman brought in bigger ratings than anyone had ever seen on Saturday morning television before. And I talk about this a lot in my book. To me, it was really the birth of competitive Saturday morning television. Interesting. Interesting. Now, at the same time in syndication, it was the Marvel superheroes that was also doing pretty good business for all the independent stations. And so I feel like the trend started... You know, we sort of have to thank the Batman series with Adam West. That was pretty successful. That premiered like in January of 1966. And so the networks had time to sort of react to the trend and it paid off in huge dividends. I think what people didn't think about was the fact that superheroes fight and they're pretty violent and they punch people. And in some of these cartoons, unfortunately, kill people. That's that's right. (laughs) And a lot of times it was kind of laid between the lines, right? Oh, definitely. There were times when villains were left for dead or you you weren't sure what happened at the end of the cartoon. So there was a lot of uh, speculation or questions about what was really going on. Like, What are some examples? Okay, let's see. So there is a Superman cartoon where he battles the parasite and he absorbs all of Superman's powers And it's too much for the parasite. And he actually explodes and dies at the end of the cartoon. And Superman sort of justifies the killing by saying, well, that's what the guy gets for trying to absorb (laughs) powers from a man who's from Krypton. Wow. And the police officer is just standing there like in total disbelief. Like, okay, whatever you say, Superman. (laughs) Whatever. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to end up like the parasite, so <laughs> I'm going to file my report and just move on. No, oh, yeah, that's right. No, yeah, the the, par- the parasite got his due process. It's uh, we're we're good here. We're good. There is another Superman adventure where he shows up with the Justice League of America, and this guy named Mastermind drops Superman in a padded cell of kryptonite. The mm. other Justice Leaguers get him out, and he tells them to get into Hawkman's ship. And he'll take care of the parasite as well as the asteroid that the parasite has decided to target Earth with. Oh, wow. Superman catches the asteroid and throws it into Mastermind's ship. The ship blows up and Mastermind is yelling. It's like this blood curdling scream. You don't know if he's alive or dead, but I'm thinking he's dead because it was a pretty. Did we ever see him again? No. (laughs) There you go. Right. 
And then Superman flies to Hawkman ships and tells the other Justice Leaguers, well, that's it, Justice Leaguers. Now back to Earth. Away! <laughs> and that's oh. the end. <laughs> yeah. T- time to clock out, guys. It's Miller time. <laughs> I know. It was so awesome. But the funny thing is that the story was written by Dennis Marks, who was not a DC writer. Okay. Most of the DC filmation cartoons were written by DC writers. Not only was all this violence happening on Saturday morning, to great ratings, Dan, by the way. Right. Uh, I also think that um, because of the Vietnam War, right. showing up every right. night at six on the 6 o'clock news yes. wasn't right. really helping. Right. And it was kind of throwing some shine onto these Saturday morning cartoons that they otherwise may have uh, not received from the parents. Right. Exactly. So that was a, an extra complication. So years later, around 2004, you know, I've had this really good friendship with Lou Scheimer, who produced a lot of the Filmation cartoons. He was the president. And I was asking him about some of these cartoons. And he said to me, well, are you sure Superman didn't leave the villain for dead? I'm like, well, not in the Parasite episode. I'm like, no, the guy actually died. And you you tell me, Lou. I mean, (laughs) Right. You were the producer. Yeah. It was a long time ago. You know, like I said, I spoke to Lou in 2004 when I was asking him these questions. He was a giant. He he produced thousands and thousands and thousands of hours worth of cartoons that we love. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. He's not going to remember every, every frame. Exactly. The other interesting thing about some of these DC filmation produced cartoons was that I always felt that they were thinly veiled Cold War cartoons because... The episodes were obsessed, like super, super obsessed with invasion. Right. We have to think about what was going on in the country at the Soviet time. Soviet invasion. Know, the idea of defending right. the defending the homeland, global war, was just an hour away. And we need to be vigilant. We need to be on alert and reminded that right. we are still in a war-ready stance in the Cold War. Mm-hmm. Be aware, and they're going to get that message through. It not only, and I'm not even going to say that this was by government mandate or or conspiracy. That's just where we were at, naturally speaking, and it was reflected in our uh, in our pop culture, in our stories. You know, reflecting yes. the the both the anxieties, concerns, and a need for preparedness of the time. You also mentioned something kind of funny when we were prepping for this episode that, um, you know, when we were talking about Superman killing some of the villains, like if Superman had been charged. I mean, okay, there would be like a deeper legal wormhole about vigilantism that I just don't think is really applicable to Superman, certainly not in the 60s. But I I think Mm -hmm. he he would be... He would be charged with second-degree manslaughter, I think. (laughs) I mean, to, to say that he killed... I mean, the person is dead, right? <laughs> but I think, I think, I think, I think, really, we can all accept it as uh, secondary manslaughter or, or yeah, secondary well, murder at worst. I mean, in the case of the parasite, it was accidental, so accidental death would be considered, you know, manslaughter. Maybe like manslaughter, and I, yeah, right. And I believe, like, when the parasite actually showed up in the comic books for the first time, I think there was something similar happened where he might have exploded at the end. Of course, if I'm incorrect about this, uh, we can edit it out. But <laughs> that's right. that's what I believe I, I read, you know, that he did explode. And so, so maybe par- the, the parasite guy- has a history of exploding anyway. 
right it's, kind exactly. of his, it's, it's already his thing you know exactly. superman might actually walk on that one yeah right okay. right right I, but I at the end though. of the di- <laughs> what you don't know See, what well i mean with mastermind though i mean uh-huh. <laughs> i think i think i think if the da was if, if the da is like a hardcore marvel fan you might get mm-hmm. secondary murder thrown at him you might <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think Superman was pissed because he got dropped in that padded cell of kryptonite. Oh, dude, you know while, I mean? the guy was, while the guy is throwing an asteroid at the Earth. <laughs> well, he got dropped in first and rescued, and then... And then he the asteroid. The asteroid. Okay, then the well, I mean, that's right. still, that's just, yeah, that's just too, that's a bridge too far for Superman's morals I to know. cross. I know. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute, you dropped me in a... <laughs> you drop me in a padded cell of kryptonite. Right. That's definitely going to kill me. Oh, that's murder. That's that's first degree <laughs> yeah. murder. Yeah. Right. I mean, and don't get me wrong, people in comic books for years have been trying to kill Superman or kryptonite. The oh, thing sure. that always cr- always cracked me up was that there just seemed to be so much kryptonite lying around. Yeah, what's that up with that? People can just get a hold of it, you like know. It's on, like just, it's on eBay, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, like Craigslist. I got uh, 20 pounds of crypt- kryptonite. <laughs> Uh, no. Either 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 five hundred dollars, or I'll trade for an Xbox four twenty friendly. Right. Uh, give me a call, <laughs> or maybe I'll trade you kryptonite for some arsenic. You know? Oh yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you have Superman's to kill. I have people to kill. Let's uh, right. Let's, <laughs> let's trade. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! And of course, with all these things going on, the backlash happens on saturday morning you know parents groups and and watchdog groups get upset about all of this violence on saturday morning all the grown-ups come in to ruin it yeah so uh you know the parents complain and nbc buys back some of the superhero contracts from the studios you know the shows were probably supposed to run another year and they were like oh no we got to pull it back Fred Silverman not wanting to lose his edge as the number one Saturday morning network. What does he do? What does he do? He greenlights the Batman Superman hour. <laughs> nice. Nice. And, you know, that show continues. But the same year, the Archie show shows up. Mm, and okay. that becomes the unexpected game changer. It sort of let all the networks off the hook because sure. now they have a replacement comedy genre right. that is is tracking higher than the superhero shows. And now they're like, okay, well, you guys want superheroes off the air. Okay, we'll accommodate you because now we have something that we can replace those superheroes with. I think if the Archies hadn't come along, you know, it would have been like a very slow weaning getting those superheroes off Saturday morning programming. And you know what I find interesting about that is it's the super uncool parents complaining that forces a trend shift that turned out to be pretty cool. Right. I mean, the Archies, uh, they were they were where it was at. Yeah, exactly. And they had the music component also. Again, it was, you know, something new and different and fun. Kids were ready for something different. I mean, superheroes had been around for a while. I mean, the 66, 67 seasons, but the Archies offered something new and interesting. Right. Now, what happened to our superheroes in the 70s? They kind of wandered a uh, uh, an ad council approved wilderness. Uh, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, 
So interestingly enough, and I just found this out recently, that Filmation Studios kept the DC license. And so they continued animating Superman and Batman, but those superheroes actually showed up in educational pieces on Sesame Street. Instead of throwing blows or maybe committing felonies, they uh, they were rocking it out on Sesame Street. Yeah, and teaching kids about the letter S, like Superman. Right. Or right. Batman and Robin teaching kids to cross the street at the crosswalk as opposed to in the middle of the street where the poor Joker doesn't listen and... Something bad happens to him. He gets hit by a car. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. I'm sure the Joker oh. was running from a a bank robbery or something. You know. Oh yeah, no, he did. He did. He did something just criminally psychotic. And uh, but hey, kids, <laughs> crime doesn't pay. Right. And uh, yeah. <laughs> and so the you know the educational aspect kind of sets things up for the premiere of the Super Friends in 1973. Right. The Super Friends are back. Right. It's Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and Robin all together for the first time on the small screen. And right. I think kids were really excited to see the superheroes back. But there was, you know, one little caveat that I think viewers didn't expect. They weren't allowed to be violent. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't allowed to be Violent, you know, it's in the name, sort of. I mean, you take, uh, take, you know, the Justice League, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the Batman, Superman, Action Out. You know, you take those names, and mm-hmm. they very. What are they called now? The Super Friends, right? Right, right. A bunch of Super Friends. Hey, Super Friends, guys. And to add insult <laughs> to injury, they had these teenage sidekicks. Oh, that's right. Marvin, yeah. Wendy, and Wonder Dog. They were just in season one. Okay. Uh, Marvin wore a cape. I don't know why, but they were supposed to be like super friends in training. Wonder Dog okay. wore a cape also. I don't know why. Wonder Dog was kind of okay because he's a dog and he's a sidekick and he had some Scoobyisms. Sure. But Wendy and Marvin, I'm just like, oh my gosh, get rid of them now, you know? Hey, Joker, come on back. <laughs> I know. Anybody. <laughs> Anybody. Riddler. Lex Luthor. Look, I mean, let's get some kidnapping going on here. I mean, come on, you guys. We would have to wait until Challenge of the Super Friends in order for the real villains to come back. And that is actually like one of my favorite Super Friends series because it was the closest thing that matched the comic book. There's an interesting story in Iwu Takamato's book. I don't know if I mentioned it to you. So Iwu Takamato was Mm. the uh, production designer at Hanna-Barbera, former Disney animator, a respected animation professional for many years. I had the pleasure of meeting him in 2005. And in his book, he says that DC Comics sent Hanna-Barbera, you know, where he was working, a lot of hate mail about that first season of the Super Friends. Yeah, the writers of DC were not happy how their characters were being portrayed right. on, on the small screen. Yeah. So if you think about it, there hadn't been a DC-inspired show really on the air since the Batman Superman hour. And so as a kid, I was waiting for the superheroes to come back. Just imagine these guys at DC must have been pretty excited to know that a new DC animation franchise was coming back on Saturday morning. You take the Super Friends and then the challenge of the Super Friends. They mm-hmm. add the challenge mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. The challenge part of the name, that never stuck, yo. 
It was still always called the Super Friends. Always. Uh, I was born I was born in 1978 and I grew up on that stuff all the way through what was it 85? 87? Yeah. yeah. Uh all of it. I was there for for all of it. No, it was always the Super Friends. Right. Just so you know. Just so you know. But they were able to get a little more real now. Yeah. They were able yeah. to get a little more real. What well what what had shifted? What had changed? Or was this a case of the industry kind of slowly pushing back and kind of changing back? The franchise had been around since uh, 73, and they were slowly but surely making the Super Friends a, a lot more action-oriented, slowly pushing the envelope a little bit. Still nobody's throwing a punch, but every incarnation of the series seemed to have gotten just a little more violent without anyone punching right. maybe someone at Hanna-Barbera finally decided well look let's just bring in the villains that'll be a great and exciting show and then you right. had the challenge of the super friends like I said earlier that was my favorite version and uh, right. again nobody was throwing a punch but there were a lot of you know ray guns being fired and boulders right. being thrown at each other and weapons being mm-hmm. thrown and a lot of chases and it did really, really good in the ratings. And it set up the Legion of Doom, which brought in Lex Luthor and Bizarro and Grodd. And a oh lot of... Oh, my gosh. It, uh, Cheetara. Right. Um, right. The oh, cheetah. who's... who's the, the cheetah. <laughs> yeah. um, is that... Uh, Aquaman's villain. The guy with um, the headgear. Yes. Um, Black, Black Manta. Manta. Yes. Black Manta. Yeah. You had... Um, some other heavy hitters like uh, Brainiac, who was a Superman. Oh, remember how they drew how Brainiac was drawn like a total frat boy in his underwear <laughs> back in the day? Yeah. Am I wrong? Uh, yeah, no, Am you're I not. wrong? You're not. <laughs> okay. Just want to make sure. Right. And so there were some pretty big heavy hitters for this series. And they delivered the goods. I think it, to me, out of most of the Super Friends franchise, I think that Challenge of the Super Friends was really, really good and progressive. In fact, uh, one of my favorite episodes is where they go back in time and change the timeline so that Superman, Wonder Woman, and Green Lantern don't become Superman, Wonder Woman, and Green Lantern. And oh, wow. uh, yes, yeah, because the plan was, Luthor said, if we take out the three most powerful superheroes, the Justice League will be easy pickings. Yeah, right. They succeeded in doing that. I'm not going to give away how the timeline was restored because it kind of makes my head hurt. But (laughs) but But the consequence is pretty rad, though. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so that's pretty post-apocalyptic, isn't it? Right. And the, the best part is you actually get to see the origins of Superman, Wonder Woman, and Green Lantern as well. You know, I mean, Superman's oh, origin wow. is, is well known and, and Wonder sure. Woman's to a certain extent. But up until that time, you really didn't see a Green Lantern origin that was animated on the small screen. So I thought that was pretty cool. Right. Very cool. Did you ever wonder why there are 24-hour kid networks? In my book, The Best Saturdays of Our Lives, I write about how Saturday morning became a competitive business and the proving ground for what would become the 24-hour kid network. My book covers the Big Bang of the 1960s explosion of high ratings to the early digital age of Saturday morning's last hurrah, the 1990s. You can purchase my book by going to thebestsaturdaysofourlives.com and I will ship you a signed copy. Yeah, so this episode, everyone, you get a real treat. Uh, our dear friend, Adam Weston, a.k.a. Sexy Thor. My, our... 
our co-host over at Thunder Talk. He's going to jump on some Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast to, uh, to talk about this and that. Adam, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm just, you know, invading everyone's podcast. Hey, oh, I yes. Mean, that's what you do. Not so secret invasion. Yeah, like secret wars. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mark, what was the name of that? Uh, you, you, you mentioned a comic in the beginning about a... Uh, about a couple who, uh, it was a cartoon, you'll never see their show again. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm one of those people that I'll go on Facebook to check one thing and I end up going down the rabbit hole and, oh, yeah. you know, commenting on things. Like yesterday, I ended up educating some folks about Super Stretch and Micro Woman. They were the first African-American married superhero crime fighting duo. They appeared on a show called Tarzan in a Super 7, and the show is not going to be released on DVD anytime soon because DC Comics sued Filmation for the characters. They said that Super Stretch was too close to Plastic Man, and I guess Micro Woman was too close to Shrinking Violet, who's part of the Legion of Superheroes. They also had another character named Web Woman, and I think Marvel went after filmation for that character and supposedly there was this back and forth with spider woman came out first but web woman was in production earlier and marvel huh. went and copyrighted spider woman sure and then and then i think a lawsuit happened so those two cartoons i don't think we'll ever see the light of day in lou Scheimer's book he talks about how they got sued for those characters but then the law changed saying that Comic book companies cannot go after media companies for creating similar characters. So back in the 70s, I think it was easy to just sue someone for coming up with a similar character. I, I kind of feel like sometimes companies pick and choose when and where or who they're going to sue. Because, as you know, <laughs> there are similar comic book characters in all the comic book lines. Oh, yeah. And if that were the case, I just think that comic book companies would be suing each other all the time. But I thought it's kind of interesting that Filmation got sued for something that everyone in the industry was doing in the 70s. Wow. Okay. So there's now a law in place that disallows comic book publishers to sue other media entities for yeah well not necessarily name. comic book publishers okay hey wait a minute hold on a second you know what i have the lawsuit information right in front of me let's just so, look it up let's okay just, yeah welcome to the 21st century yeah let's yeah just, definitely uh, so let me right. read exactly what it is and this way you know no one can accuse me of telling tales out of school. Only the straight dope here on Best Saturdays of Our Lives <laughs> podcast. That's right. That's right, folks. What do we got? So I pulled up the information and it says that DC was granted an injunction that Filmation would not make any further Manta and Moray or Super Stretch and Micro Woman cartoons. Okay. The DC Comics... Inc. versus Filmation Associates suit is often cited in copyright law discussions today as uh -huh. it established that in dealing with superheroes, trademark protection can be applied to character names, nicknames, physical appearance, and costumes, but not to physical abilities, for example, okay. superpowers, or personality traits. 
okay, so I could have powers like Brainiac, but I can't wear an Izod polo and and my and my and my underwear around. Correct. Correct. Oh, okay. uh, the other interesting thing, and this was like long rumored, um, it turns out from this lawsuit information that Shrinking Violet, who I had mentioned earlier, and uh-huh. Web Woman were not part of the original lawsuit. So, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right, Web Woman, you're you're good. Yeah, you're good. Yeah, yeah. So pretty interesting stuff. And this information was supplied by uh, a gentleman named Andy Mangles, who wrote the filmation book along with Lou Scheimer. And oh, cool. he recently uh, presented a lot of the information on Facebook and it's just really super fascinating. Um, yeah. Check, check our, our bibliography, everybody. Right. Right. We, 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 we cite, we cite our sources. That's right. You know, we do. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Interesting. I'm just stuff. saying that if we're not going to sue each other, then let's just make Aquaman versus Namor. <laughs> which i would love to see and it freaking confused the crap out of me when i was a kid because i didn't know that there was a dc universe and a marvel universe and i used to say to myself how come when aquaman is swimming around namor just doesn't show up and say who the hell are you <laughs> there was a dc versus marvel comic book that came out a few right. years i mean right. more than a few years ago and aquaman and namor did face off uh, i'm like oh wow aquaman's gonna get his ass kicked you know because <laughs> you know namor talks a good game and what i love about namor is before he got his own comic book he fought everyone in the marvel universe like namor just shows up either you know fantastic four daredevil spider-man the avengers talking smack and ready to fight everybody for something something that namor probably got wrong <laughs> Oh yeah, no, Namor's Namor's a punk. He's an early punk too. He's been around since uh, since the early fifties. Right, a- right. Aquapunk. Yep. <laughs> and I guess this Marvel versus DC thing probably predated a Squadron Supreme, so we probably didn't have Justice League versus a Squadron Supreme. Yeah, I, I kind of yeah. So I, I recently bought a Justice League, one of those reprinted books, and supposedly there was a writer at Marvel and DC that were friends in the seventies that really wanted to do a Justice League versus Avengers mashup, and so it wasn't going to happen. And this writer, whose name I don't recall right now, so I lose points. <laughs> you know, came up, <laughs> came up with with the the. The what's the name of the group again, Adam? Uh, Squadron Supreme. Yeah, the Squadron Supreme, which was you know a Justice League knockoff. At the same time, the Justice League battled an Avengers knockoff. It was kind of interesting because they had like the DC version of the Scarlet Witch versus Zantana, and Ooh. it yeah, it was it was. <laughs> I don't know. I liked it and I didn't like it because all of a sudden Zantana had these powers that you never see her use before, like shooting magical bolts out of her hands. That's not how her magic works. It's saying things backwards. Yeah. But the splash page of the Justice League versus the Avengers knockoffs is awesome. Just awesome. And as a kid and as a fan, I was like, oh, this is great. This is great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I definitely need to read that sometime. I've mm-hmm. I've got my Justice League versus uh, Suicide Squad limited event that came out a few years ago, so I'm happy for now. Right. 
And I still need to read Avengers versus X-Men. Still haven't read that yet. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what's also a good story? When Rogue jacked up Miss Marvel, who is now Captain Marvel, stole her powers and went on a rampage. And it took the combined force of the Avengers and the X-Men to bring her down. She steals Miss Marvel's powers and then she steals Thor's powers. Oof. Yeah, after she steals Thor's powers, she's pretty much unstoppable. You know, so just imagine the par- the powers of the Kree and and a and a god. <laughs> yeah. Of course, you know, Rogue is a good person now, but she was a villain back in the day, you know, yeah, working yeah, with yeah. Work Mystique. Mystique. Yep, yep, yep. Good stuff. Good stuff. I love it. You have 30 seconds to describe Thunder Talk. It's pop culture. With a twist. It's music. LBGTQ+. And comedy. Well, dark comedy. It's nerd junk. It's comic books. Video games. Conventions. Yeah, nerd junk. And social commentary. It's woke, yo. Yeah, and nerd junk. Woke nerd junk. Thunder Talk is all over the place. Every place you want to be. Thunder Talk is a proud member of the ESO Network. Find us at thundertalk.org and download us on all podcast platforms. Forms. I know there's kind of a, uh, a trend towards Japanese programming and even culture in terms of uh, right. karate. I know karate's from China, but you know, karate, the martial arts, ninjas, right. uh, uh, Battle of the Planets, yes, right? Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. But that had a different name though, didn't it? Uh, yeah. Uh, um, it was originally called Gotcha Man. That's right. Gotcha Man. You know, you know what I always found annoying, Mark? What? What, Dan? To be continued. Oh, (laughs) we were on a roll, man. (laughs) (laughs) The Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast is a co-production of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives studios and the Weirdos Workshop. To get a personalized signed copy of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives book, go to thebestsaturdaysofourlives.com. This is Mark McRae signing off.